Craft Beer Radio, Episode 3, June 30th, 2005. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. And I'm Jeff Baer. Today we're going to be discussing Belgian Vits, Vit Beer, the white beer. We're also going to be answering a question or two, talking about beer news, and giving you a little lesson in home brewing. Yeah, I'm going to give you a little bit of information on what you can expect if you want to start home brewing. Uh, so, Jeff, this is our first show in two weeks. Yes, I was on vacation last week. I was camping. It camping. Was, yes, it was a load of fun. I needed some time to unplug and recharge from all things computer, and that was just what I needed. I don't know if I could handle that. Uh, it takes a special type of person, I guess, but I had a great time. So what did you do? Well, I went camping with my uh, Boy Scout troop that I was with when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and... Um, we were at summer camp where they mostly work on merit badges and scout skills and stuff like that. So I, I helped the scouts. They really enjoyed my presence. And I had some time to relive my youth. You know, we lashed big, tall things and all kinds of geeky scout craft type stuff. Any uh, ghost stories around about a fire? No, we did build a big-ass fire where the fire was like 25 feet tall. The flames, it was pretty cool. Always like those pyres. Yep. And uh, s'mores, obviously. We did do s'mores one night. It's a little... It's a little, cat, you know, cliche. Yeah. And we don't do it all the time, but they did have s'mores one night. Interesting. Any Weeblo? I was a Weeblo scout. Like a Boy Scout or a Cub Scout was a Weeblo and then went to Boy Scouts for a little bit. So I got a free citizenship badge. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the uh, our youngest scouts were Weeblos about six months ago. I see. They crossed over. Right. To but the this other side. Yes, but this isn't Boy Scout radio. This is craft beer radio. This is craft beer radio. So let's uh, start talking about craft beer Absolutely. So uh, we have a question from Yes, we a have a listener. single, solitary question. And as soon as I get my papers sorted out, we will uh, go over what the question is. The question is from Jeremy. He's a friend of mine. He kind of sent the question in because I told him we didn't have any questions. <laughs> but it is a legitimate question that he wanted to answer, know the answer to. The question is, does heating and cooling of bottled beer alter the taste of the beverage? Once bottled, how will the temperature fluctuation change the chemical properties of the brew stored inside? Now, this is an interesting question because I, I think everyone always hears that uh, heating and cooling, heating and cooling will skunk the beer. But what you've told me is that that's not true. Skunking is actually a different property of beer going bad than what heating and cooling does. Mm-hmm. First, we'll go over what heating and cooling does. And if you heat and cool and heat and cool a beer, it'll... Uh, make the beer age faster and okay. it'll it'll ruin the flavor faster and mainly that's from the oxidation oxidation is where obviously if there's any oxygen in the headspace of the bottle right. or or just absorbed in the beer at all it'll make the beer taste stale sooner some of the characteristics of oxidized beer it tastes stale or cardboardy kind of like wet paper yum yeah it's something you have to be very careful about when you're brewing beer too Right, once, right. I, I've, I've seen you pay attention to that. Yeah, once the beer is fermented, you don't want to introduce any oxygen into the beer because it'll cause the oxidation to happen. Right. So after the fermentation, anytime you're moving the beer to a new vessel, when you're moving it to your bottling bucket or into the bottles, you have to be very careful when you're siphoning not to splash it around and introduce any oxygen. Right, trying not to do uh, any stirring. I remember we made a raspberry wheat, and we had to mix in uh, what was this extract, raspberry extract. And we had to be very careful about it because we didn't want to introduce too much oxygen into the fermented beer. Yeah, we just had to stir it very gently, mm-hmm. and that was good enough to keep the, uh, you know, worry about the oxidation once the beer is bottled. Right. 
Now, skunking beer is actually a different property of the beer going bad. In beers, you have hops, and the more hops that are in the beer, the actual the more prone it is to skunking. What happens is when ultraviolet light hits the hop molecules, it breaks them up into different molecules. Mm-hmm. And from what I've read, the re- one of the resulting molecules is fairly similar to skunk spray. So it, it's literally skunking. It's literally skunking. Yes, I haven't, you know, done some experiment. The page also listed some experiments to skunk your own beer to pick this out. You know, do a side by side comparison. Seems like a waste of good beer. It does. If I find a beer I don't like so much, I might try it though, just to see <laughs> how skunked I can get a beer and taste it right beside, you know, an unskunked version of it, just to see what the difference is. But now it's ultraviolet light. So can you use like an ultraviolet lamp and just you know shining on a beer and the sunlight is good enough to do it. The article I said. You, this guy might have had ultra-sensitive taste buds, but he said 30 seconds of bright sunlight, and he could tell the difference in a skunk beer. That wow. sounds a little yeah. little drastic to me, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, now, do does a bottle, a different color bottle, help prevent that sort of reaction? Yes, brown bottles are the best at blocking the light that, that breaks those hop molecules okay. up and keep the beer from skunking. All the beers you see in green bottles or white bottle, clear bottles or even blue bottles... That's the marketing team winning out over the beer I see. instead of the brewer who wants to do a good craft beer. I guess green, for some reason, is more appealing on some level. Right. Now, there is one benefit. You've had Samuel Smith's beer. Yes. From England. Right. And they make some good import microbrews. Mm-hmm. The beers that most of their beers come in clear bottles. The only beer of theirs that comes in a brown bottle is their IPA because it's so hoppy they don't want that the lights are Okay, running. I see. Also, the darker the beer, their Imperial Stout is good and is okay is okay in a clear bottle because the beer's opaque; it's black, so, so it's, it blocks the light at the surface right. of the beer, so you don't have to worry about that getting skunked much either. I see. Now, other beers like their Nut Brown Ale or the Pale Ale, I think it's the marketing team winning out. They probably I, I don't know why they don't put them in clear bottles. In the one article I was reading today, also a lot of beers that are served domestically in, say, Germany or someplace, and exported to the United States. In the domestic bottle are brown. The export bottles are green or white because us Americans must like <laughs> clear or green bottles for some reason and don't care about the beer quality as that's, much. That's very interesting. So if you can, try to get beer in brown bottles or encourage the use of brown bottles. Yeah, and if you're home brewing, you'll, you'll want to get some brown bottles. When I first started, I wasn't sure I was going to get enough brown bottles, so I was collecting up all the used Corona bottles I could find as a you know emergency effort. <laughs> But luckily, I found enough brown bottles. I never had to use the clear Corona bottles. That's good. Well, thank you for that question, Jeremy. Okay, next we're going to go into beer news. You would figure after two weeks off, we'd have all kinds of beer news to bring to you. Fortunately, it seems like it's been a slow two weeks for beer news. (laughs) I scoured Google News a lot today and only found a few things worth mentioning. Well, let's discuss them. First thing is, we mentioned before I left, the National Homebrewers Conference right. took place I remember in that. Baltimore. The attendance of the homebrew conference was at an all-time high with 852 homebrewers, professional craft brewers, and beer enthusiasts in attendance. That's a lot of people. I wonder how much space they had. It was uh, the convention center, I believe, in Baltimore. In Baltimore. Now, one thing that I found particularly interesting in the article I was reading, the number of homebrews entered for competition compared to the number of pro-brews entered at the Great American Beer Festival. At the Homebrewers Conference, there were 4,128 homebrews entered in competition. At the Great American Beer Festival, there were only 2,016. Wow. I mean, how do they judge? 
4,000 beers. They have a bunch of teams of judges, I'm sure, working on different flights of beer because that's that's a lot of judge, beer to judge. And no doubt about it. They came up with the, uh, you know, there's a best in show. Right. I don't have the person's name in front of me, but he was from Virginia. Him and his wife, I believe, brewed a lambic, and that was the best in show. Hmm. A lambic. That seems tough to make. Yeah. I'd love to see what the, a best in show homebrew tastes like. <laughs> what else we got news-wise? Okay. One piece of news for us Pennsylvanians, which is good. The State House of Representatives voted to open up beer sales at beer distributors on Sundays from noon to 5. And it's about time. There's a very puritanical law on the books in Pennsylvania that for some reason we can't have, we can't buy beer on Sundays. We can get, I think you can get alcohol, you can get uh, spirits. Well, that's a relatively new law too, Greg. Right. Um, state, some state stores are now open on Sundays, and like I said, that's only been over the past year or so that they've been open. Uh, yeah, I did notice that it just started happening. So, I mean, I guess this is a, a trend, which is a good trend. Uh, we're certainly glad we don't see anything wrong with pr- being able to purchase alcohol whenever you want to. You said about the puritanicalness of the law. It right. also has a lot to do with people's hands in other people's pockets. In order to get this bill passed, they also had to increase the tax break for taverns who buy beer wholesale from 7% to 10%, so they wouldn't cry about losing their monopoly of Sunday beer sales. Right, I see that. I don't see how it can be, you know, how anyone should deserve to keep their monopoly or be incented when someone does something to make it more fair. But, yeah, in order to get this passed, they had to increase the tax break for taverns who buy beer wholesale. That's interesting. And the, and the most obscure part of the law in order for beer distributors to sell beer on Sundays they have to pay a $100 fee to the state how often every Sunday annual oh annual $100 a year to be able to open on Sundays that's an odd that's, uh, number that's three cases of beer four cases of beer yeah gee you think they're going to pay the 100 bucks I think they might the next thing I have in news is about Audio Slave. A band. The alternative band that has Chris Cornell, formerly from Soundgarden. Right. Apparently, Miller used their name in one of their advertisements, and now Audioslave is suing Miller Brewing for using their name without permission. You you can't do that. No, you can't. You should get people's permission if, you know, their name's trademarked or whatnot. Audioslave says that they don't want to be used for promoting any commercial product, especially alcohol. Audioslave loves craft beer radio. (laughs) You know what? I wonder if we'll get sued for saying that. I, I hope not. Chris Cornell, I love your music, so please don't sue us. Oh, Greg doesn't, but I do. I listen to Audio Slave, his solo stuff, and Soundgarden. All right, that is all. Oh, there is one more piece of news that I have. It seems like this article is written just about every week in the news. Some of you may know it, but if you haven't, the craft beer portion of the industry, sales have been up year after year after year, where the normal macro beers part of the industry has been slumping over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And spirits is actually growing, and beer is slumping. The only part of the beer industry that's growing is craft brew sales, and it's growing pretty heavily every year. So it's good news for us craft beer drinkers. Most of you probably knew that, but if you didn't, smile and rejoice with a nice craft beer and think that what you're doing for the industry. Okay, that is it for news. Let's move into the style of beer we're doing tonight. The Belgian Wit beer. Yes, the Belgian Wit is different than the, the German Hefeweizen that we did two shows ago. Right, three weeks ago. So what's the difference? I mean, they're both wheat ales. The primary difference is, there's two main differences. It's kind of yeast, 
Mm-hmm. Hefeweizen Jews, the German Hefeweizen yeast. Right. Belgian white Jews are Belgian white yeast. Okay. So that's not much of a stretch. <laughs> Belgian whites are also typically spiced with coriander or bitter orange peel. You think of other Belgian beers, you think of a lot of sugar being added to the beer, and in this case, it's it's spices. I, I remember the, the first, my first real introduction to, I guess you could call it craft beer, was when I tried, when I was living back with my parents uh, when I was still in college, I tried a Belgian white from Samuel Adams. And it was the first time I was like, wow, this is really different. This is something that's totally unique. Now, I don't consider Samuel Adams necessarily a small craft brewery, but they certainly have aspects of, of their brewer, brewery that does do craft beers. And I was really surprised. And it didn't really get into craft beer at that point. But it was probably my first introduction to a different style than just your traditional lagers. I agree. Sometimes I'm a little rough on Sam Adams, but some of their seasonals are quite good, and they do try. And obviously, since they have shareholders now, they have to make money. So yeah. they're doing a fairly good job at, at working both sides of the fence. So I don't have anything truly against them. I don't like their Boston Lager at all, but some of their seasonals I do care. You know, I think are pretty good. And I think they they make some very good extreme beers. They they're really good to the craft brewing industry. I think they they try to support that. They go to a lot of these festivals and they they help out around it and they they sort of they they like to promote the idea of craft beer as opposed to the idea of just mass market beer. They were the sponsor of the Best in Show at the Home Brewer Association conference. Some of the characteristics that you can look for in this beer, it's it's crisp, has a nice twang to it, comes across. It's kind of like the Hefeweizen, where there's a little bit of weedy twang comes mm-hmm. across. The Belgian yeast will give it more estery, fruity-type character okay. to it. Now, uh, these are all, I guess, bottle-conditioned, just like the uh, the Hefeweizen. Do you want to get the yeast in there as well? Exactly. That's what I was going to say next. The You want to swirl up the sediment in the bottle, pour it into your glass... Obviously, you don't have to, but that's the way the beer is designed to be enjoyed. Right, and we—I th- mean, I know that with the Hefeweizen, it's definitely much better to get that yeast in there. And so, I imagine with the with the Vitz, the same thing. Yeah, if you remember from our episode, how we were commenting on how there was a tremendous difference from the beginning of the bottle, where we didn't have enough room to sw- to swill up the sediment, versus the end of the bottle after we got the pour more out and got all that into our right. glasses. The history of the Wit beer—it's a—it's a fairly old style. It's been around for over four hundred years. The name Whitbeer is because it is much paler than what was common at the time, the darker beers. Right. So It's not white, it's, no. but it's paler. Than the Wit means beers. white, but the beer isn't supposed to be a white right. color. It's not supposed to look like a sheet of paper. It's just, in relative terms, it's white compared to the other beers at the time, which right. were brown ales and darker colored beers like that. The brewers use malted barley and raw unmalted wheat as the base for the style. They add spices and herbs to cut the wheat flavor. So this is where they add the coriander, the bitter orange peel. To sort of to, to not have as much of the wheat influence, they, they put in the spices and other other flavors. What about hops? How, how do hops go with this sort of beer? The um, traditional wit beers weren't hopped. Some of the old original ones. This is before they started using hops in beer regularly. Kind of like a Gruet? Gruet is a, another unhopped ale type right. beer. I'm not particularly familiar on exactly what constitutes a Gruet, so Greg sent me here. I had one at uh, Extreme Beer Fest in Boston, and I was very impressed by it. I wasn't expecting much. It was, they, they marketed, or they, they I, I wouldn't want to say advertised, but they, they presented it as the, the way beer was before beer was beer. And it was, it was actually pretty good. 
It was a little fruity. Definitely didn't have a hop flavor to it. Didn't have hops in it, but it was um, it was it was very interesting. I had one unhopped beer that I can think of, and that was the the Farrock Heather Ale. So it was spiced with heather mm-hmm. instead of hops. It was pretty good. I was surprised at how drinkable it was. I expected, being a classic recreation of an unhopped ale, that it wouldn't be all that good. Right. And it was pretty drinkable. I wonder if, and, and maybe we can comment on this, do you think that there's sort of a tendency to only use hops and, and not and if with brewers to not even think about possibly substituting hops with something else just because it's been used for so long? Hops are a main ingredient in beer right. and it works so well that most brewers are going to stick mostly with hops now they might do a a, a vit beer uh-huh. or something maybe a, a special seasonal that will have something in it typically hop beers taste better right. i mean look at all the styles of hop beers you can yeah. take and the unhop beers there's a few out there but they're pretty narrow and you probably don't have as much flexibility making a good beer with something other than hops so it's just this is really what works yeah that's what i would think hops works the best from what I've seen. Now, the other beers are interesting and good to try, but if I had to drink one day in and day out, I don't think I would want to drink any of the unhopped beers I've had. Makes sense to me. We've kind of got off on the tangent because we asked about the hops in this beer, right. and we said that they used to be unhopped. Whip beers now are hopped. Okay. They're very lightly hopped, just like the Hefeweizen style, and a lot of the same hops. The most popular hop that's used is the Saz hop. It's a okay. spicy hop. It's the hop that was primarily in those Pilsners we tasted last show. Really? Yeah. Nice. But a lot less than they <laughs> hop in a Pilsner, of course. Now, what sort of uh, food goes along with the Vit beer the best? I guess something light? Yeah, it's it's very similar to the Hefeweizen because uh, it's, it's a close beer. It just mm-hmm. has a different yeast characteristic to it. So a lot of the same food. We got fish, poultry, salad. The cheeses are, again, a peppery pepper jack or monterey jack right. and those are the foods that go good with this beer okay and serving temperature serving temperature is a wee bit warmer than the hefeweizen just by a couple of degrees uh the listing i was showing showed 45 to 50 degrees i guess you really want the flavors of the spice to come out and cold dampens your taste buds so that would make sense yes the uh, typical alcohol range for this style of beer is four percent to seven percent alcohol by volume Oh, uh, we have uh, sort of pint glasses for these. Yes, the the glassware for these beers can be a pint glass or a tumbler. Drink you would drink like a whiskey on the rocks type thing out of. And it also listed a Becker glass, which I'm not familiar with what a Becker glass is. I don't think I know either. So tonight we're going to be drinking out of my Oh My Gang Wit Beer glass, which is a large tumbler. And since I only have one, Greg's going to be using my Pike Brewing pint glass. I get the short end of the stick this time. They're my glasses. <laughs> uh, so we're going to pause for a second while we let these beers, which are in Jeff's fridge right now, warm up, and we'll be back to try our first Fit Beer. Through the magic of radio, we're back. We have Wallover's Vit Beer from Otter Creek Brewing, Wallover's Certified Organic Ales. This is a brewery in Middlebury, Vermont. What do we have here? OtterCreekBrewing.com is the website. Uh, it's it's a nice looking beer from the four. Otter Creek Brewing. Uh, they were formerly a beer marketing company in Nevada City, California, and Wallover's merged with Otter Creek Brewing, keeping the name in 2002. They started their brewing. They started brewing their own beers, which are all in keeping with the whole Vermont style, I suppose. Organically grown and processed ales. It fits with the whole organic stuff like Ben and Jerry's and the other things you expect from that area. 
There you go, Greg. All port and swirled, and all the the goodness at the bottom of the bottle is in your glass. I do notice, uh, you know, very hazy beer, what you would expect for a beer that has a lot of the sediment or goodness in it. The head is small bubbles, and it's nice. It's about a finger width. Nice, and it's definitely uh, staying with the beer. I certainly see why they do call these a wit beer, a white beer. It is still yellow, but it has a very white taint to it. Yeah, I mean, you compare it to, a, say, a, a stout or something. I mean, it, it's white compared to a stout. I mean, it's certainly not white as the head, but it's definitely uh, pale. Okay, uh, aroma-wise, I'm picking up some citrus, some lemony type stuff again. I'm picking up a little bit of breadiness, which I guess you'd expect from a wheat beer. Yeah, there's some citrus in there. It smells a little bit of orange. Could be the bitter orange peel that they Could might have be. Added. So, so let's take a sip. Tell me what you think. It's uh, it's light. It's um, got a light mouth feel. I'm trying to hone in on the taste here. Yes, it's de- it's definitely spiced. It it yeah. doesn't taste too Belgian-y of the yeast. It definitely has that wit flavor and has some spices to it. I hate to admit it, but I'm. Not well versed in wit beers. I haven't had any of the ones we're having tonight, and typically, I'm not a big fan of the style. Even though my first sip of this Wolliver's did taste pretty good, so I'm going to have to work here to figure out what I'm <laughs> tasting. So please forgive us. Uh, but we figured that just because we may not be especially lo- we may not especially love the style doesn't mean we shouldn't try it out and uh, see what they're like. Right, you're learning stuff. We should learn stuff too. So we're gonna try new styles here, and this is one that we're not particularly well versed in. So a little bit more about Wooliver or Otter Creek Brewing, who produces Wooliver's or- certified organic ales. They produce thirty thousand barrels a year, and they have a fairly wide distribution area. All the three three states on the West Coast: Washington, Oregon, and California. They have some in the Midwest: Missouri, Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio. And on the, West Co- on the East Coast, they have just about everything in the Northeast except for Maine, which is kind of strange since they're right next door in Vermont, or, yeah. or almost next door in Vermont. And they have Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, and everything else that's up in the Northeast. Hmm. They opened in 1991. Now, I have to say, it, it, it tastes a little watery to me. Um it's very light in, in on the mouth and it just feels like there's some taste and there's sort of a, a surrounding almost I almost want to describe it as sort of a meniscus a surrounding of water like sort of bringing the, the taste into you uh, also a little, a little bit grassy yes yeah it is grassy and I do I do see how it has a very light mouth feel mm-hmm. which makes it come across as a little bit watery yeah uh, not not very I mean the carbonation is there it's not extremely noticeable it just strikes me as as, as a kind of a, a light a lighter addition, probably. Yeah, I think I'm picking out the the orange peel that they use in this. I think I'm tasting that near the end. I, I'm I'm getting that sort of citrusiness, and it's kind of it's kind of ending uh, on the sides of your mouth a little bit of citrus taste. Uh, I think there's more citrus in the aroma than in the taste, though. Out of things to say, we are uh, out of things to say. I guess still uh still contemplating what else there is because it, it, it i'll be honest this is not uh a very complex doesn't taste all that complex to me yeah it'll be interesting to see with these other beers in the style how complex they get yeah i mean i'm expecting pretty good things from the omegang and the allagash 
So am I. I know that Alley Ashes is rated very highly on many places. I'm going to have to go scare my cat out of this room. She's climbing through some boxes and it's going to make a lot of noise here sooner or later. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, Greg, you can entertain him while I scare okay. the cat. I should probably give a play-by-play of the cat event because this this is very interesting. The cat is inside a box where she is kind of messing around with all types of different plastics and packing materials and now the cat is running away as soon as she notices that we are paying attention to her. So we will watch as the cat now is thrown upstairs. <laughs> okay, she jumps upstairs. I think you may have thrown her. We're back to I our I bet beer. you guys weren't expecting that when you tuned in to Craft Beer Radio today, <laughs> did you? I don't really have anything more to say. I mean, I, I noticed, like they said, the grassiness and the spices are, are there, but they're not exactly uh, prevalent. It, it, it just strikes me as almost like a light beer. So I think that the uh, our consensus on the Wallovers is that it's not a bad beer. It's just we were sort of expecting more flavor from it. Yeah, maybe I'm spoiled with all these American craft beers that I've been drinking, but for that beer... My palate saying, give me more flavor. Right. Well, hopefully this next beer, which is uh, Bell's Winter White Ale, will give us that expected burst of flavor. Now, it says Winter White Ale, but it's, we're drinking in the summer, and we normally associate the, the Vit beer with the summer beer. From what I've been able to tell, this beer is a winter season. I'm not sure why there's still so much of it around this time of year. Interesting. I was just at a Bell's tasting before Craft Beer Radio at our new hot dog shop slash bottle shop, and I got to talk a little bit with the uh, representative from the brewery, and she surprised me. This winter white ale does not have any spices in it. No spices. No spices. So it's and not really traditional wit. It's not a traditional wit. It uses two kinds of yeast. It uses Half of it is a traditional wit yeast. The other half is a hefeweizen yeast. You know, I, I think I've, I've seen something like that, the... Um Rogue has a half of Weizen, which I believe is, is made the same way. Okay. Yeah, I've seen the beer, the, the half of Weizen, yeah. and I never really looked into it. I figured it was, they were just playing with the name Heffa, but it could be that it's half Wit, half Heffa. That would seem to make sense to be a nice implication there if that were true. Now Jeff is swirling and pouring in the little bits of this goodness. We're noticing a much stronger head on this beer. And a similar look in terms of the beer itself. It's a sort of pale, cloudy, yellow, orange. It has a lot fluffier head. The head on the other one was tight, small bubbles. This one has, it seems more foamy and fluffy to it. I agree. About two fingers on mine. Has more aroma. Much more aroma. Much, much fruitier in the aroma. Not as much breadiness. And a little bit of the peppery that you would get from a Hefeweizen yeast. A little bit of the pepperiness that we had in our half a show. Bell's is uh, Kalamazoo Brewing Company in Kalamazoo, Michigan. You may have heard of their Expedition Stout. One of my favorite beers. Their Expedition Stout is world-class Imperial Stout, and it's my favorite Imperial Stout by far. And they have a Kalamazoo Stout I like a lot. Their 200 Ale is a great IPA. Mm Mm-hmm. Their Oberon Wheat Ale is their biggest seller, and ironically, it's the one beer from them that I don't care for. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I care for this beer. I really like this. This is uh, it's very tasty. Uh, you get a lot more 
taste, a lot more flavor than we got from the Wallovers. This is sort of what I expect out of a Vit. Yeah, I don't know what to expect out of a Vit. I'll know after these next two beers. But to me, this can definitely pick up the Hefeweizen part of this. It there. has the lemony flavor to it. It's a little bit peppery. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's a style that I know I do like. And I guess, you know, I'm, I'll be inclined to pick those notes out of this beer right. as opposed to the Belgian Vit parts of the beer. I'm noticing a little bit of coriander. I think it's sort of a true, sort of a, a, almost a shade of it, not really the full flavor of it. I mean, it's obviously not spice, so it doesn't have it in there, but I think the yeast sort of brings out a little bit of that flavor. There's, there's a fruitiness to the beer. It's kind of, uh, it's, got, it's got that nice fragrance to it, which adds to the flavor. It's, it's not grassy at all. Yeah, I would say this beer ranks much higher than the uh, the Wolliver's beer. Did you mention uh, all this brewery information we have here? Oh, we didn't mention everything. Okay. Um, Let's see. We have bellsbeer.com is their website. Their annual production is 32,000 barrels, and they're located in nine states, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, and Missouri. Some of their notable beers, other than the Expedition Stout, did I mention those? Is there... Yeah, I mentioned those already. Yeah, we mentioned some of their beers. Sorry about that, guys. (laughs) I know one beer that we didn't mention, which for you coffee drinkers out there is one you should hunt down, is the Bell's Java Stout. I love coffee beers. I I have an affinity for coffee porters and coffee stouts. The Bell's Java Stout is very coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker. I love the smell of coffee. So in my coffee beers, I want the coffee aroma Uh and the coffee aftertaste, but not so much full coffee flavor. This Bell's Stout does have a lot of full coffee flavor to it, but it's nice and mellow, and it, it it's very coffee. And I definitely love the full coffee flavor. I'm one of those guys who I'm not a big fan of drinking coffee unless I really need to wake up, but I love coffee flavor. I love coffee ice cream. I love coffee beers. I don't know what it is. I just love that flavor. Well, you should check out the Java Stout then. They had some at the tasting tonight. I should have oh, stole a bottle for yeah, you. Yeah, I grabbed a growler. Yeah, because they didn't have any bottles in the, the cellar, so I couldn't have purchased, or in the cooler, so I couldn't have purchased you one. That's but too you had bad. a couple at the tasting. I should have snuck one out. May have to uh, see if I can find one at our uh, local bottle shop. The brewery started in 1985, so it's an older microbrew. A little bit older than I would have expected. That's only nine years after Fritz Maytag and Anchor started the whole yeah. craft beer revolution, so... 32,000 barrels. Yep, so they're technically not a microbrewery anymore. No, they're they've passed uh passed that mark. But they're certainly a craft brewery in my heart. I agree. I mean, I don't think that uh macrobrewers make beers like this. No, absolutely not. Okay, as we're getting down to the end of this beer, it's uh warming up a little bit. It's warming up. It's getting a little bit sweeter. The aroma hasn't changed much. It still right. has that lemony, citrus type aroma to it. Which is quite delightful, if you ask me. It's a it's a good smell for a beer like this. I'm not able to pick up much change in the flavor, though, at the end of this beer. It's it's pretty much the same. has that pepperiness and a little bit of right. citrus from the Hefeweizen. And I'm still not able to pick out any real characteristics from the, the Belgian Vit East out of this beer. I mean, I noticed Maybe, it... Oh. I'm sorry. I noticed it ends sweet. It, it sort of uh, comes on with, with more of a... A harder mouthfeel than the Wallovers. It's not. I'm not saying that it's it's a harsh. It's just a little, not as light as the Wallovers in terms of the carbonation. Uh, a little gritty, 
and then it, it ends very sweet. Yeah, and thinking back on how you were talking about the wateriness of the Woolivers, mm-hmm. this has a nice solid mouthfeel to it. Right. It doesn't feel liquidy, extra liquidy anywhere in the middle. So, so far, the Bells is the best beer of the night. I wouldn't be surprised if one of these next two upset it, though. Next, we're going to be tasting the Allagash Wit. From Portland, Maine. Or Allagash White. Oh, yes, excuse me. This is the Allagash White Beer Brewed with Spices from Portland, Maine. This one definitely has spices in it. This is a much smaller brewery. They're 4,000 barrels a year. They go. They have a very wide distribution area. They are in Portland, Maine, like we said. Uh, they brew to... They, they distribute to California, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Indiana, Illinois... Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Texas, Vermont, Virginia. Keep on reading. Greg. And of course, Maine. See, when I crack this, when I crack this one open, I had it foam up over me, so I'm gonna have to run get a paper towel here in a second. Okay. Well, here's one right here. Excellent. How about that for service? Now I'm noticing the color of this, and I'll wait until we get some of the yeast in there. But it still looks uh, lighter than the other ones. Uh, it's paler almost. I mean, it, it certainly has the same haziness. doesn't have much of a head. It has sort of almost a half-finger head, small bubbles. But the smell is, is really interesting. You can definitely, definitely smell the spice. I, I smell a lot, of, a lot of coriander there. I, th- I can get a little bit of grassiness out of this one. Yeah. You can definitely... After you've had a vit, then the bells, which has some heffa in it, uh-huh. and then back to a vit, you can definitely te- pick out the characteristics that are the heffa out of the bells. You know, all that pepperiness and that le- lemony flavor is mm-hmm. definitely not in this beer. Wow, that's good. Okay, now you can definitely taste the coriander. That's very strong. And you can also taste that the, the orange is sort of subdued. The citrus is subdued in the background. It's a light in terms of carbonation, but it does not have any of that wateriness in the, in the uh, mouthfeel. Yeah, this beer tastes very spiced compared to the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first sip was all, you know, that I was picking out the sweetness from, I guess, coriander. Right. At least to me it was tasting sweet, but it was certainly spice by spice in that first uh, sip. And the, the number one flavor I'm getting from this is coriander, which is, I guess, makes sense since it is spiced with coriander. But and there, there's sort of a there's a light bready backbone. I was just about to say that. <laughs> still added something good to contribute about a beer style that I'm not well versed about, and you stole it from me. <laughs> and it, like like we said, the fruit is, is sort of it's a it's a second player in this. It's not the main player. It, it has a, definitely a dry finish to it. Right. Yeah. It just it sort of finishes and just stops. Doesn't present too many extra flavors as it's going out, but. I'm getting just, I'm still getting sort of a, I feel a little bit of the coriander still staying with it. I if you if you're not a fan of coriander, you probably won't like this beer. I like coriander, personally. I've only ever had coriander in beers like this, so <laughs> I'm and I should try it, the spice itself sometimes, so I know exactly what it tastes like. It's interesting. Coriander seeds turn into cilantro, and coriander and cilantro taste nothing alike. Okay. I was going to say, now this beer is kind of a beer where you can say it has a clean, crisp taste. and Well, I won't say no aftertaste, but little aftertaste. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've heard that slogan before, I'm sure. <laughs> but this is also not a beer that would appeal to someone who uh, is not who is into the macro beers. I mean, th- this, is a f- this is a flavorful beer that's going to hit you over the head with a flavor that 
other beers wouldn't necessarily. And you're not I'm not tasting any hoppiness at all. How about least. if you say tap you over the head? Because I mean, there's a lot of coriander, but I mean, it's not aggressive like a hops. Okay, is. I I would tend to, yeah. Okay, I'll I'll uh, I'll say tap you over the head because I think that's true. It's not going to whack you like say 60 minute or 90 minute IPA. You're going to hit you with that hoppiness, but you definitely get flavor in this beer. You get a hard flavor of coriander, which I really like. Four thousand barrels, like we said, so small distribution or small size of distribution but a wide area that's interesting yeah the the numbers for the distribution i get off of beerme.com mm-hmm. they're a directory of breweries and the website seems to be up to date in some places but might be a little dated in others so i'm not sure what year they brewed four thousand barrels so it could be a little dated but you know i do the best i can gathering this factual information for our our rabid listeners out there <laughs> it's all for you people I hope that uh, you can get a hold of this one because this is really good. The brewery started in 1995, and I've only had a... I'm trying to think. I think this is only the second beer that I've had from this brewery, but the other one I really like. It's their Allagash Double. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It's a plain double, but it has... It tastes like it's a smoked double almost. Really? I don't think they smoke the grains, but it definitely has a smoky character to it. That's interesting. And I love it. I might have one downstairs. We can try one after the show if you want. <laughs> you may have to. And all of you out there will just have to wonder about how good it is because we're not doing doubles yet. We'll do doubles at some point, probably in the fall. Hopefully fall comes soon. I'm running out of the running out of ideas for these summer beers. <laughs> you might have to break with the tradition a little bit sooner than fall because, you know, Greg and I are like, what should we do this week? What should we do this week? And we came up with these vits. And if you listen to the other shows, a lot of guys are talking about vits and, and uh, Hefeweizens and beers like that. So hopefully next week we'll come up with something. We'll think of something original and neat. If you have any recommendations, please, by all means. Yes, please email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. We didn't give the email address last time. Ask us questions. Recommend beers for us to try. Comments. Beers that you like. If it's a style that we've already commented and you like a different beer better, let us know. We want to hear back from you guys. And even if it's just keep up the good job, you know, that's good too. We like to hear things like that. We definitely appreciate it. Guess what, Greg? You might have seen that on Podcast Alley. We actually got some votes. We got two votes. Two votes and one comment without asking for it. We definitely and appreciate that. We're Thank still you not asking much. for it unless you count us talking about this right now, <laughs> asking for it. But if you think we're worthy, give us a vote. We're not going to show up in the top ten, obviously, but right. it makes us, me and Greg here, feel like we're doing something right when people let us know what we're doing and that they enjoy the show. That and, of course, keep downloading the show. Yes, we had 200 people download the last episode. That's great. Check the stats right before we started. It was a 200 over two weeks. The I have to admit I'm one of those people. No, me too. <laughs> the episode before that was is at 209 right now, mm-hmm. and the first episode is at 290 or almost 300, I believe. Wow. Or, well, our test episode, I guess. Our test episode is our biggest downloader, which kind of makes sense because it's been out there the longest. But who knows? Maybe people like the IPAs. Let us know, please. Please. Next, we have Amagang Fit. This is from Amagang, Brewery Amagang in Cooperstown, New York, the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes, I'm a big fan of Amagang beers. I really haven't had that much of Amagang. I had some at the uh, Penn Brewery, at the Penn uh, Beer Fest. 
uh, but I haven't had much in the in Amagang. I certainly haven't had this beer before. This is a large bottle. This is um, twenty five ounce caged and corked bottle of Amagang Vit. Right. Amagang's a Belgian brewery. They brew only Belgian beers. They're Amagang Double. Well, I believe they just call it Omagang, but it's mm-hmm. a double style. It's a great beer. It's one, It's my favorite double. I was talking about how great the Allagash is. The Allagash is good and it has a unique smoky character, but if you want a flat-out delicious double, get that Omagang double. Good beer. This is uh, It's a nice, large pint bottle. Yep, so we're going to get a different sound as I open this one. Right now I'm <laughs> uncranking the cage on the cork. This is, I think, our first corked bottle that we've had on the show. Ah, that's a good sound. 5.1% alcohol on this one. Uh, we don't really have much information on their production or distribution area, but I'm pretty sure you can probably find this. If you go to their website and put in your state in the pull-down menu, you can see if they distribute. But I wasn't about to go through 50 states and see if there was results in the database. Ah, uh, Jeff, you're so lazy. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Maybe the beer will make things all better. 1997, this brewery opened up. It's already cloudy without having any yeast in it. Yeah, I've been meaning... I want to get up to New York sometime this summer and check out this this brewery just because I like their beers so much. They have a series of cave-aged beers, and I don't know if the tour will take you down into the caves or whatnot. Wow. And I don't know what... I mean, the beers are already bottled and right. corked. Oh, so it's just sort of so aged? Cave-aged cave could be kind of a gimmick. It's kind of neat, though, because I guess the labels come out all scuffed and dirty. And <laughs> These are aged in a coal mine. Uh, this is this is more beer than we typically have. We we share the bottles, and this is um, we're essentially each getting a larger portion because it's a much larger bottle. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to pour these in our first sample and get a whole bunch of sediment out. So we're going to do a, a tasting now of the bottle, slightly disturbed but not completely mixed up, and we'll let you know how it changes on the next right. pour once we can get the rest of the beer out of the bottle. So the smell is more bready uh, than the Allagash. Without as much of the uh, spiciness on the smell. The the head's the fluffiest one yet. It's really foamy and creamy looking. But it's not large. It's not more than about a finger's worth. Ooh. Yeah. That's different. That That's yeah. much fruitier yeah. tasting than uh, the other ones. This is... um. It, it's the most complex one so far. No? Um... In turn... Well, I mean, I think it, it's got more fruity flavor. I think there's... I can detect hops... That I didn't detect in the other beers. There's a little bit of a resinous hoppiness to it, but there's definitely a citrus, a strong citrus backbone that everything is sort of riding on. I wish I could tell you guys on the radio what I'm tasting because I like this beer. <laughs> but hold on, let me look at my little uh, cheat sheet here, so I can tell you what the heck I'm tasting. We, if you're wondering what this means, we have a couple sheets that have some descriptions of possible flavors you might find in beer. And in order to help us describe the beers to you, we like to bring around some of these terms to give you a better idea of what we're tasting instead of just sort of describing it in broken English. If you want to look for these sheets, there's two different sheets. There's a beer tasting form that you can download from ratebeer.com. You can use those anytime you taste the beer. You you circle the, the things you want. You rate one through five on how much you like the aroma, the flavor, uh-huh. things like that. And we've been using that traditionally. Today I found something called the beer flavor wheel, which kind of works kind of like a color wheel where flavors blend into other flavors the way it's organized. And this one you can get from brew-monkey.com. 
Brew Monkey. It's. A, I was surprised. I found this site today. It has some good information. When I was trying to research the the warm cold warm cold mm. beer question, I was. I know. I know it doesn't taste as good if you reheat it and chill it. But I didn't know why, and I was trying to find that information about the oxidization. And you know, I found some good information on that site. Sounds good. I, I'm noticing this is uh, sour almost. It, it brings that sort of sour citrusy taste, uh, especially. It, it kind of saves you at the end, that sort of sourness. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a little bit of a... I mean, not sour bad. It's a... I, yeah, know. right. I don't... It's not bad. It's it's, um, it's a good flavor. It's just... It's sort of um, something that's different than the other ones. Yeah. Uh, I After you said that, I did taste the sourness, but I thought it was a fully enjoyable. Yeah. I like crazy weird tastes. It's know? not It's not necessarily as sour as, say, an, an Outbrun. Which is sort of um, they're aged in wine casks, and it, you get this sort of sour wine taste with that type, with that style. But there's just something there that gives it a little bit of oof. We should try it probably with the yeast now. Yeah, let's try to roll this up, fill our glasses again. Jeff is now trying to swirl it up and get as much sediment as possible into the remaining beer. This bottle's still over half full though, so it's kind of hard to tell if I'm getting to the bottom or not. We'll pour a little bit out and. You'll get a little bit uh, better take on it. I mean, the fortunate thing is that I can see that there's some sediment coming out. You can tell by the darkness or the cloudiness of what's coming out of the bottle. It's, it's fortunately a, a, a larger bottle, so we can do more swirling in it. Now, again, just like all the other ones, this is just sort of a, a, a straw-colored beer. This is darker, but it's still just straw-colored with very hazy. And let's try it now with the yeast in suspension. The aroma is a little more potent. It still has a flavor I can't classify. <laughs> I really, this is the beer where I taste the most hoppiness to it. And I think that's the, the fruit combined with sort of the resinous hoppiness. And it's not, I don't want to say resinous because it doesn't, doesn't stick. Yeah, resinous flavor is a, typically a characteristic you get from a strong right. West Coast hop, like the ones we see in Imperial IPAs. But I, I just, I'm noticing that. That sort of that bright hoppy flavor is would coming you, along with the, in our, the in our flavor wheel here. Would you? I don't know if that's accurate, but where it says solvent-like, they might be talking about the warming of the alcohol. But would you call that solvent-like at all? I don't think I would describe it as solvent-like. I, I would I, I would characterize it more on the hoppy area, more hoppy fruitiness than I would sort of solvent-like. I, I really don't taste the alcohol in these beers. No, it, it's very hard to pick out the alcohol. Now this one's only five point one percent, so it's it's more than some of the the mass market macro beers. But for micros, that's that's pretty much it's a little bit higher than session beer drinking. Mm-hmm. When we talk about session beers, we haven't mentioned those yet in the shows. A session beer is typically an English pub style where you can drink it all night long and not get blitzed. So they'd be a lower alcohol, three four percent, something along those lines. So we've now tried all four of these beers. We weren't sure if we were going to do all four, but we have done all four. Which one would you say is your favorite? I like the characteristics in this Omegang, the, the middle of the taste. That, that I think it's the most complex, and I wish I could describe what I'm tasting because I really enjoy that flavor, but I'm having a real tough time figuring out what's <laughs> on my tongue. I'm going to have to go disagree and go with the Allagash. I think it's sort of... Um, Excuse me, the more traditional Vit style 
really, I, I really enjoy that kind of strong coriander spice taste, which is not the same. Not to say this, that these that the Amagang is necessarily bad. I think the Amagang is probably the second on my list, but it's more of a fruitiness. It's got more um, strong power of the fruitiness and hoppiness, whereas the Allagash is sort of the more traditional spiciness. I, I agree with you saying traditional spiciness for the Allagash. Keep in mind. That's not a style I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. So we differ a lot to them because my second favorite would be the Bells, which has the Hefeweizen influence in it. And I would say my third favorite would be the Bells. Right. So we agree with the last one. <laughs> yeah. Which we is agree the that the Wolvers is the uh, the least exciting of these four beers. Right. But it's still not bad. I mean, you wouldn't be wasting money if you picked one up. No, and I, I recommend you try all these beers and see what you think, too. So next, um, as we're finishing up the Yama Gang... We wanted to discuss a little bit about getting started in home brewing because, like we said on previous shows, Jeff is a home brewer and I've helped him with home brewing. And he has some ideas and some directions you may want to go if you're thinking of starting of home brewing. Sure. With home brewing, you can start out simple, and obviously, there's always more equipment you can buy. You know, I've been buying equipment for a couple of years now. I finally got all the stuff I need to do what they call all-grain brewing, where you buy all pure barley, barley malt, uh-huh. and you do the mashing process, which turns all the starches into sugars. You used to be using extracts, You used right? to do what they call extract brewing, which is what we're going to talk about today, because that's what all beginners will start out doing, or should start out doing, unless they're crazy. <laughs> when, you, when you make beer, you need a bunch of sugar to right. make the backbone of the beer, because the sugar gets converted into alcohol. Pro, pro brewers do all-grain brewing, where they mash the grains, turn the starches into sugars. Right. When you do extract brewing... Which there's a lot of sugar in the barley and stuff like right. that. When you do extract brewing, you buy extract, which is after the mash. It's it's either liquid or powder, which has already been converted into sugar. Okay. So it saves you that whole step of the mashing of the of the, the barley. When you're it's essentially beer. barley malted. Well, it, it's barley malt extract. Right. So the starches that are in the barley malt are already turned into sugars. So you're saving that whole first step. So when you're you're doing an extract batch, you need less equipment, takes less time, takes less expertise on how to make the beer. So See. it's great for st- beginners. What are the advantages of doing it the other way? I mean, we don't want to encourage people to do it at the start with the mash, but it just, it just, just feels better. The the uh, You get more control over the characteristics of the beer. You I can see. use harder water, softer water, different temperatures in the mash. It it changes how the much sugar gets out of the beer and just different characteristics of the wort, the liquor that you're going to get out okay. of the mash. And if you really get into the hobby, it's going to be something you want to do. It's something I want to get into, like I just got the equipment for, because I just want to learn as much as I can about brewing beer. Right. So I want to do the the most involved process, just so I can understand the whole process better. Okay. So with a beginner, you don't need much equipment. You could probably find all the stuff you need to make beer on your own, but I would recommend buying a starter kit. And you can get a starter kit from your local homebrew store. The place I like to buy stuff from online is northernbrewer.com. Okay. They have a, a starter kit for $62. And what goes into a starter kit? starter kit includes two buckets, two plastic buckets. One you use for your fermenter, one you use for your bottling bucket. Okay. The reason you need two vessels like that, the fermenter is obviously closed off, has a little bubbler on top, airlock, so the CO2 can get out mm-hmm. and no little nasty bacteria can get in and ruin your beer. When you go to bottle your beer, you need to transfer the, the beer into another vessel. You need to add the priming sugar. Priming sugar gives puts a little more sugar into the beer so the yeast wake back up 
And once the beer is closed off in the bottle and capped, it's under pressure, so the priming sugar gets eaten up and it carbonates your beer. Right, we described this before. This is the bottle conditioning. Right. So you need the second vessel so you can add the priming sugar. You don't want to add priming sugar to your fermenter because you need to mix it in, and you don't want to stir up all the stuff, all the yeast and the, the proteins in the tube sitting at the bottom of your fermenter, so you need that second vessel. I see. The beginner kit also comes with the siphon and the siphon hose. comes with a bottling wand, which is really nice. Has a It's a little plastic wand with a stopper at the bottom. When you push mm-hmm. it against the bottom of the bottle, it lets beer flow. When you lift it up, beer stops flowing, so it makes it easier filling bottles. comes with a bottle capper, some bottle caps, a bottle brush, and some sanitizer. That's pretty much so, everything you need. Well, not everything you need. You need a brew kettle of some sort. Oh, yeah, that's true. So you need a pot. Um, you would typically want a pot that can hold two and a half gallons of water or two gallons of water because you don't have to boil the whole volume of your beer. You can boil two gallons of water and add three gallons of cold water after you're done if you don't really? have a pot big enough. So it's a partial boil. And it makes beer just fine. The difference between doing a partial boil and a full boil is you get better hop utilization in a full boil because there's more volume for the hop that gets dissolved in. But other than that, a partial boil is just fine if you don't have the resources to do a full boil. As long as you use sanitary water. like uh... Yeah. Some people will boil the water the night before and cool it to make sure it's clean. If your system, if your uh, local water system is clean enough to drink from without treating it, it's pretty much clean enough to make beer from. So you can use cold tap water too. Uh, my first home brew, we did a partial boil. Right after that, I brought my mother-in-law's turkey fryer and used our turkey fryer pot so I could boil the whole five gallons mm-hmm. of water. Typically, when you brew beer, you do it in five-gallon batches. That's the size of most of the equipment. Now, we we also use the turkey fryer to actually start the to, to get the water boiling just because you need a lot of heat to get five gallons of water. Right. If, when we did the partial boil with just two gallons of water on our stove, it took forever to get it boiling. And you can make beer on your stove. works just fine as long as you have enough time to get it up to a boil. I started using the turkey fryer, and that thing's a blast furnace. So it was able to, to get the heat, the, the word up to boil faster, and was just better. So I use that from now on. Always outside. Yeah, yes. You don't want to use a turkey fryer inside. They're not designed to be upright inside. You might, if you don't burn it on your house, you'll probably die of carbon monoxide poisoning. Because <laughs> they do burn propane. Okay, so you get the kit for 60 bucks. You need to buy some ingredients. You can get a, a full-blown kit, which has everything you need, including the hops and the yeast for... Actually, the beginner kits are pre-hopped. So you buy... It comes with a can of liquid malt extract, uh-huh. which is that extract we were talking about. They do the mashing. In the, in the pre-hopped one, they, they start boiling it. They add the hops. And once it's been hopped, they cool it down, and they condense it down into a syrup. Oh, that's interesting. So, so you, you don't, don't have to do any hopping. It, hopping you don't have to do any hopping. You only have to boil it for about 15 minutes to make it because you just want to make it sure it's sanitary. You could add some extra hops, like my first batch. The guy at the homebrew store recommended that we add a little bit of aroma hops at the very end. Mm-hmm. So we did that. You chill it. Those kits come with a little packet of dry yeast. You can use that if you want. You might want to buy a pack, an, a, a fresh pack of dry yeast or a vial of liquid yeast from your homebrew store or from a site online like Northern Brewer. And um, once you're done boiling, you chill it down. If you try to chill your pot in a bath of ice water in your sink, it takes a long time. So you might want to also consider getting a wort chiller. That's a piece of copper tubing that you put in your hot wort, and you pass cold water through it. You have to get some sort of pump for that. 
you can hook it up to your um, to your faucet, I your guess. faucet, and it just goes down the drain. And the heat transfers from the cold water from the hot work into the cold water on the other side of the copper tubing. You don't need those to make your first batch of beer because they probably cost fifty bucks or so. But if you're not, it takes a long time to chill your work. A little pot of two and a half gallons right. might take an hour and a half to two hours to chill down. To and every minute degrees. you're so you're out, you're inviting bacteria in. Right, and also the faster you chill. There's some more advanced things where you get a better cold break, which drops some proteins out of the beer. But for your per- first batch, you really wouldn't worry about that. And uh, once you're done chilling, you put the wort and the cold water into your fermenter, and you add the yeast. And a week later, you should have some beer that you can bottle. Two weeks later, you can drink it. So that's the beginning basics of home brewing. If I missed anything, you should all check out howtobrew.com great site guy has a book he put his whole book up on his website wow. so you can read through how to brew and you know reading books on websites are kind of difficult if you like it go buy the book sounds good well that's the end of this show we hope you enjoyed it we'll be back next week with an all new show with an all new type of beer yes and we just need to figure out what that's going to be I have a couple ideas but yeah. we'll see what happens next time okay thanks for listening everyone thank and you very much please email us we love it it makes our day Yes, indeed. Thanks.